0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at northsferrychurch.org. Well, we're getting close to the end of Hebrews chapter 12 is where we are today. Uh, I ask you to pray for me as we and the staff pray about where we'll go next. I still don't know, so uh, pray about that. But in our text today, I I was kind of reviewing everything and, it, and having our text today made me see things that I didn't see as strongly before and that's this holiness theme uh, that is in the scriptures. Uh, when, when we go through Hebrews chapter 10 uh, you start to see it with the ideas of uh, in light of what we're reading today. So let me just review what the author's been doing in Hebrews. Uh, in the first 10 chapters or so he's been showing us who Jesus is and the significance of his ministry, and the way he 's been teaching us is by going to the Old Testament and showing us how all of that was uh, was leading to Christ that the Old Testament priests show us what significance to understand Jesus as the great high priest. they went in, offered uh, animal sacrifices, the blood was to cover their sins, it was only temporary, but that pointed to the need for Jesus, who gave himself as the perfect sacrifice the perfect sacrificial lamb of God that his blood covers our sin and we see in the old covenant Mount Sinai where uh, uh, Moses led them out of Egypt and met God at a mountain called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb and that's where the old covenant was given and that's where the author goes today as he's been doing looking into the Old Testament he's teaching us how to think about things in light of Jesus looking back at the Old Testament. And so beginning in chapter 10, 11, and 12, he started saying, if you believe in Jesus, if you've put your trust in Jesus as the only one who makes you right with God, then it should show up in a radically different lifestyle that makes a difference in your life. And so he went through the the hall of fame of, of men of faith, if you will, in chapter 11 showing What amazing things God did through them because of their faith. And what did he say faith is? Faith is being convinced of the unseen realities that are revealed in God's word. Faith is conviction of things unseen. Confidence of the things hoped for that otherwise you wouldn't know about it if God didn't reveal it in his word. And so the more that we understand God's worldview the invisible things that God reveals to us, the more that we understand, buy into, believe, and bank our lives on those things, the different, the more uh, radically different we'll look from this world. It changes us because everything's different. We're operating on a completely different paradigm. And so the writer has been saying it should show up in your life. And then today we're getting to this... Uh, this theme of holiness that I see, and when I went back and looked, I saw it strongly. It's been there. Like in, listen to what he said in chapter ten, verse twenty-six. He said uh, the the writer of Hebrew calls us to draw nearer to the Lord with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, and not going on, not to go on sinning willfully. And then he says, for the one who does go on sinning willfully has nothing to look forward to except the terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. That's 1027. And then he says in 1031, For it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Those themes are not real popular themes, are they? That's not something you hear a lot of people preaching on these days because we want just to hear the positive, fuzzy, warm feelings. We don't want to picture God as this consuming fire, which is what he says in our text today. God is a consuming fire. What what comes to mind when you hear God is a consuming fire? He's not the great man upstairs, is he? Hell. He doesn't create fuzzy warm like I'm roasting marshmallows by a fire. It creates fear, it creates intimidation, it creates a sense of awe, and so we have to admit that's not popular in in our culture, and so we want to understand well, how are we supposed to think about this? If God is a consuming fire, how are we supposed to think about that and respond to this concept of God being a consuming fire, and that's what the author does today he's going to show us two he's going to instruct us on two ways to properly respond to this concept of God is a consuming fire. We see the first response is in chapter 12, verses 18 through 25. The first way to respond to God being a consuming fire is to not refuse His Son, Jesus Christ. The first thing that we should do when we understand that God is a consuming fire is don't refuse Him. Don't resist him, don't reject him, don't oppose him, don't refuse, more specifically, his son Jesus. Let's see where I get that. Uh, I get that in verses 18 through 21. We'll start there. Look at what he says. He says, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire. He's talking about the old covenant scene where God met them on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. He says, you had not come to that kind of mountain where you can see and touch the blazing fire... And, ...and to the darkness and gloom and whirlwind... ...and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words... ...which sound was such that the, those who heard it begged no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command. And the command was, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses himself said, I am full of fear and trembling we'll stop right there so as usual the author of hebrews is reading his old testament and he's teaching us from his old testament this is recorded in exodus 19 and 20 we we went through exodus before going through hebrews and so you may remember the scene god had delivered his people out of egypt through amazing signs and wonders through plague after plague god displayed his awe striking power Such that it should have melted the heart of Pharaoh. He should have bowed in worship. But it seemed to only harden his heart. Through the exodus of the parting of the Red Seas. God displays his majesty, his power, his all-supremacy. As they came across the sea and, and wandered through the wilderness, God provided them manna. God provided them bread from heaven, water. He made miraculous water appear. God did amazing signs and wonders, displaying his incredible, frightening, all-striking power that any, anyone who has any sense about them would not oppose this God. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, Now you, you as... New Covenant believers, you as Hebrew readers writing the letter to, you can't see the fire, you can't see the cloud, you can't touch the mountain, you weren't there, but he's going to go. But nonetheless, you stand at a similar mountain. And so the, the idea that he brings to our mind by bringing up this picture of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai with God's fiery presence there is... The fire, I think the the word that captures it best is holiness. He is highlighting the holiness of God. Because remember at that scene, what happened at the mountain? But God said, Moses, tell the people to go and consecrate themselves for three days because they're not a holy people. And they need to be consecrated. That simply means to be made holy, to be set apart, to prepare themselves to meet A holy God. And so God said, Set them apart, and during this time of consecration, if anybody comes and touches this mountain, if even one of your animals wanders up and touches this mountain without being consecrated, he will surely die. And so the theme of God's fiery holiness is highlighted in this scene at Mount Sinai. The author is saying, God is holy. God is a consuming fire. Is that how you think of God or is he just the great man upstairs like Santa Claus or something? The scriptural pictures of God is he is a holy, all-striking, all-powerful, sovereign, holy creator of the universe who has all power at his disposal. And that's what is captured in this phrase, he's a consuming fire. And so he raises the idea of holiness. And they, they were warned, don't approach a holy God without taking measures to be made holy. So that's what's in the scene of Mount Sinai. He says, now look, you haven't seen that mountain. You can't touch the mountain. You can't see the fiery presence. You, you have an experience of that. But nonetheless, verse 22, you have come to a mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, a better mountain. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels. You should picture this holy presence. I'm reading in verse 22 of Hebrews 12 and 23, this holy, incredible scene of the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, Holiness is the scene. And he says, who's there but Jesus. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And you've come to his sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And so he says, though you didn't come to Mount Sinai, where Moses, where you were so scared that you said, Moses, you go see God on our behalf. They said, Moses, We can't approach a holy God. And so they were afraid and and their fear was not a a proper response. Their fear caused them to withdraw away from God. What did God want? God said, y'all come up, be with me. This is God's offering restoration to Israel. Though sin had separated them, God's saying, come, let me give you the old covenant. Let me give you this this covenant at Sinai. And if you will keep the regulations of this covenant, we'll be reunited, we'll be restored. But they said, no way, no way. And they sent Moses. They said, Moses, you go be our mediator. And so God graciously allowed Moses to be their mediator. But we see inadequacies in that old covenant. We see this is not going to work. They're not going to keep the regulations They're not going to obey. They're an unholy people. And therefore God will not be able to allow them to dwell in his presence. How do we know that? Well, as God was saying in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not make any idols. They're down there making idols. And the scriptures makes it clear, this isn't going to work. And so the writer of Hebrews is telling us, and he's saying, listen, I know you can't see the mountain. I know you can't touch it. I know you don't see the smoke and the fire, but trust me. God is a consuming fire. He's unchanging. He's holy. And the implication is, and you're not. And I'm not. You're sinful. You're unholy. And when you see the fiery presence of God, you you need to realize there's a problem. And so that's what he's saying is, recognize that God is holy and you're not And the problem is God is a consuming fire and the only just response because he is just is to punish, to pour his wrath, his fire out on sin. And we should just stop there for a minute minute, and it's a very unpopular message but if we don't get this right, nothing else matters. If If we diminish the holiness of God Because we, as believers, most of us are believers. We know what Jesus does for us and how it changes the nature of the relationship. But we need to understand God never stops being a holy, consuming fire. And if we ever diminish that, it has implications in our life. And so, what he is saying listen, I know you can't see his fire, but trust me, he's a consuming fire. And just like Israel, you and I are unholy. And so he says the first response is don't reject the voice of the one who's offering. Look at verse 25. He says, so here's the first response. When you are standing at the holy Holy mountain of Zion and you hear Jesus' blood crying out to you, let me make you holy. Here's the response. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking to you. That's Jesus. The blood of Jesus is the one speaking in this text. He says the blood of Jesus is speaking out to you. Let me make you holy so that you can draw near to God. How do you respond to that? See to it you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape Talking about Sinai, talking about Israel. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape who turn away from he who warns from heaven? So he's making an argument from lesser to greater. He talks about warning from earth, that's Mount Sinai. Warning from heaven, that's us. He's saying, listen, the blood of Jesus is crying out to you. Let me make you holy. He's saying, let me make you right with God. And the only proper response is not to say, oh, God's not that holy. Oh, God's not holy. That's not the right response. The right response is not to say, well, if he's holy, then let me get away from him. He's saying the right response is, do not refuse Jesus. Receive him. Let the blood of Jesus make you holy because That's the only solution to our holiness problem. When you put your faith in the blood of Jesus, it's not by works. It's not by merit. It's not something you do to deserve it. We don't change the truthfulness of God's holy. We're not. But the amazing offer here is Jesus will make us holy. He says, don't refuse that. And then his argument, his reasoning is from lesser to greater. If they who had a lesser mountain, a lesser mediator, if they paid the price, if they were not spared when they refused, why in the world would you think that you'll be spared if you refuse? That's the author's argument. So the first response to hearing God is a consuming fire is to embrace Jesus who makes you holy so that you no longer have to fear the fire. The second response is in verses 26 through 29. He says, If God is a consuming fire, embrace my son Jesus who makes you holy. And then in verse 26 he says, um, And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven. This expression yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of the created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. All right, so what's he doing again? He's going back to Mount Sinai. When God was there and he spoke, it shook the earth. Another thing, highlighting his power and his glory and his his amazing, his idea of him being a consuming fire. When he spoke, he shook the earth. He's saying, listen, I know you weren't there. I know you didn't see it. He says, but let me tell you something. There's going to be another time where God not only shakes the earth, but he shakes the heavens and the earth. He said, when God comes back, he comes back as a consuming fire. When Christ returns to establish his final kingdom, he's coming back as a consuming fire. And he will shake everything that has been created, and it will all be shaken. It will all be removed, and it will all be replaced. And the only things that will remain will be the things of God. And there will be an unshakable kingdom. And when he talks about this future unshakable kingdom, He's He's quoting the prophet Haggai. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. Listen to what the prophet says, speaking about this future day of an unshakable kingdom. He says, "'For thus says the Lord of hosts, "'Once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, "'the sea also, and the dry land. "'I will shake all the nations, "'and they will come with the wealth of all nations.'" And I will fill this house with glory. It will be a glorious kingdom, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I'll give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So what we see is he is saying, listen, I'm going to recreate the heavens and the earth. Do you believe that? I mean, seriously, stop for a second, get out of, I'm listening to a sermon mode, and, and think about it. Do you believe Jesus is coming back and going to create an unshakable kingdom where those who trust in the blood of Jesus will participate in that kingdom? A new heavens, a new earth, all that was first created will be wiped away. It will be burned up with his fire. And the only thing that remains will be those things that are of God, that are of faith. Everything else will be incinerated. And the only thing that will remain and the only people will remain will be those who give God glory. Those who have trusted in the blood of Christ. It will be an unshakable, powerful, eternal kingdom where Christ rules with his believers Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is only a temporary preparation for what is more real than this feels. And if we get that, if we understand that God is a consuming fire and I am unholy and what I deserve is to be destroyed the way Jesus was destroyed on the cross... When I get that, and I realize instead of destruction, I get the unshakable kingdom. What does that do to me? Then you tell me God's a consuming fire, and I say, praise Jesus. I'm not afraid of the fire. I've been cleansed by the fire. And I am filled with gratitude. And that gratitude is the foundation of my life from that point on. That gratitude is why I'm here today. That gratitude is why I walked away from being an accountant and a financial planner. Because with gratitude, the Lord drew me into a life of service to Him. And that's the second response that He says in our text. He says, when you grasp the fact that He's a consuming fire and you deserve to be burned And you realize if you embrace Christ, not only are you not burned, but you are blessed with all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places, and you become subjects of this unshakable kingdom, and you even rule with the king himself. He says, therefore, in verse 28, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. Let us show gratitude by which we offer to God an acceptable service with reverence with all. For God is a consuming fire. It's the same thing Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. After eleven chapters of, of the amazing mercies of God, he says, therefore. In view of the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God, for this is your act of worship. The gospel takes the fiery presence of God and that flame becomes the propellant of the engine of worship. It takes you from fearing the the wrath of God upon embracing the gospel of Jesus that he makes me holy, he allows me to draw near to God. The more that I grasp that, the more I am overwhelmed with gratitude. And that's what propels me to lay my life down and to serve you and to serve others and to love my enemies, to give my life to the glory of God by serving others. When everything in my flesh, everything in your flesh, every day says, No, you serve me. What in the world is going to overcome that? Only the gospel. And if you diminish the holiness of God and you elevate the righteousness of man, you have extinguished the flame that propels the engine of service. You will not lay your life down. There will be little gratitude. He says, the gratitude is the Christian life. When you understand he's consuming fire, but you understand the grace and the mercy that is in Christ, that fire becomes cleansing and purifying and it becomes the the power that drives a life of service and gratitude. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus gave his life that we may have life. Those who believe in Jesus give their life to bring life to others. And everything in us wants to scream, No, no, I want to use others for my own gain. So let me ask you, where are you today? What is your view before you came in? What is your view of God? What did you think about God? And and if I told you God's a consuming fire, what would you have said? I don't want to hear that. But do you see how the gospel takes that and makes it the most wonderful gift that we could ever have? The writer of Hebrews says, first of all, respond by receiving his son Jesus, his blood is saying, let me make you holy. Then upon receiving that gift, you should be filled with gratitude and it should change your life to say, I will give my life in service to the Lord out of gratitude that he has given me life and made me holy. That's what it means that God is a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy, Moses looks back at the mountain, Mount Sinai. He explains what was going on. He says to them, Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Horeb, and the Lord said to me, Assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words? He says, So that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. He goes on to say, You came near, you stood at the foot of the mountain, the mountain burned with fire, the very heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, a thick gloom. He said, so watch yourselves. This is Moses. He says, so watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, verse 24 of Deuteronomy "For, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. The key to... a the key to the life of holiness is never forgetting that God's a consuming fire. Did you hear that? The key to the life of holiness is never forgetting that God is a consuming fire. First generation saw it with their own eyes. The ones coming out of Egypt, man, they saw the plagues, they saw the parting of the seas. Their, their babies, the firstborn, were spared. Second generation, Moses was talking to them. They saw amazing miracles. They're about to go in the promised land. They saw feeding by manna. They saw bread from heaven, miraculous water. They saw all kinds of amazing things that God did. And he's talking to that second generation. And their kids are about to be the ones that grow up in the promised land not seeing those things. And he says, when they grow up and they have success in the promised land and they forget... They will have pride, and that will lead to the end of this. He says, so teach the third and fourth generations that I am a consuming fire. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the the crux of your scriptures. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That means a deep, reverential, respect, respect. For God and His holiness, knowing you need to be made holy and right with God, Christ is the only way to be made right with God. Embrace Him today, and He will fill your heart with gratitude, with love, and for, with motivation to give your life to serve others to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this reminder of your nature. Lord, forgive us if we ever tone down your nature as the consuming fire. For we're not doing anyone a service by doing that. The greatest gift we can give someone is to teach them that God is a consuming fire for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. By faith, we believe that we are made right and holy and righteous with you through your blood of your son Jesus. By faith, we believe that we are made a part of the unshakable kingdom of God. And Lord, that produces within us gratitude to give our lives in service to you by serving others, by taking your gospel to places at great cost to ourselves, to sacrificing daily our own desires and our own wants and our own, our own resources for the benefit of others and for the spread of your kingdom. Lord, I pray today that you will eradicate the selfishness that's in our flesh, that you'll destroy the pride of our own hearts that wrestle against this truth. Pray that this reminder of your holiness and your power will strike within us gratitude for the blood of Jesus. And in view of the mercies of God, that we will lay our lives down once again. As I read this week, a great reminder that if we are now living sacrifices. That means we're constantly trying to crawl off, the, crawl off of the altar. Constantly trying to wiggle free and not be sacrificed. But may we get back on the altar today and lay our life in service to you with gratitude and reverence and awe. It's in Christ's name we pray.